All right. Well, thank you so much for making the effort. And uh, you're, uh, what's the name of the place? It's, it's just outside of Tampa that you're at. Um, uh, where are you staying? Well, we know we are Okay. I thought you said you'd be in um, Perry. 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 The Perry is between. Um, no, Florida still. It's it's uh, closer to. Um, Oh, okay. Oh, All right. That's why we don't ah, know it. I, I got that completely yeah, messed up then. It's from the UK going to tell you where it is. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yes. Well, from people I've met this morning, they said that's the area of, of Florida that we only go to in the summer. So. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Is this going to come on? Let me see here. Hang on one sec. Manufacture frosted flakes there, Tony? Oh, we did, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I changed out the shorts into the trousers so it wouldn't be too cold. Oh, right. I was, I was wearing my shorts, so, and uh, two gentlemen got out of my kit. You must be from the north, so you're going to say that. Uh, no, no, go a bit further. Oh, okay. Well, we've already started apparently, but the uh, the button isn't working. Let me uh, send Sergio a really quick message so he knows what's going on. Uh, a yellow, Y-E-L-L-O-W, blinking. Okay. Just so he knows what's going on, because I, I started the thing and waiting for it to start. And let me let me get up one more time. And Yeah, it's still yellow, Sergio. Okay. Um, let's see here. Well, we'll go ahead and get started here. Ah, sorry, we're a minute late because I was waiting for that to come on, and the, the red light is not working. So um, let's see here. We're going to be, let me read you first, Psalm 119, verse 113. Uh, actually, we'll read eight verses, but that's where we're starting. Psalm 119. And let's see here. 119. Okay. Verse 13 says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continuously. You reject all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. And let's see here. Okay, got that. Let's see. Uh, let me read you something about prayer here. Teachers. To be prepared, you must be pre-prayed. So we'll do that right now. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to pray to you and to ask your hand to be upon us tonight. We're so thankful that Pat is here back in uh, back in uh, class, even though uh, she's still looking a little slow, like I'm feeling. But uh, we thank you that she is here and uh, that she's had somebody to take care of her in the process. And we also pray for the bridges because uh, we know that they... Uh, are normally here and that they weren't here on Sunday either. So we pray that your hand is on them and that they will uh, be getting better. And anybody else that's not here as well, a lot of people missed on Sunday and uh, certainly there are probably some that are still struggling with, with, with this, uh, this uh, flu that's been going around. So please be with each one of them. And we thank you for our visitors here tonight. We're so grateful for each of them and we wanna give you thanks for that. And ask that you help us to study your word properly and to handle it carefully and to bring you glory and honor. 
Lord, you are so, so good to us. Thank you for all you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know that uh, Corey Ten Boom's verse there that you read? You're my hiding place? Oh, yes, you're my hiding place. That's absolutely right. Uh, okay. Uh, Nicole, were you sick last week? I wasn't. Had family. Okay, I was wondering about that now that I see Michelle She's in here. Back. You have? Yay. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, well, well. And I got to drop it sprouts. No way. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Which one? The 12. Where? Sprouts, South Yeah, I know where it is, but I've been waiting. Yeah, the 12th. Yeah. Wow, congratulations. That is wonderful. You know, we were wondering about you because uh, like half the church was sick and half of them are still sick. So oh, wow. I was wondering if you had it too so okay good i haven't seen mom i don't know where she's at so you know you know i'll, I'll give her a call and find out but uh uh we'll, we'll find out about that but you know on sundays it's always something with her but uh we'll give her a call and find out if she's all right so and rick's here this is wonderful but uh it's uh tony and tina and they've come all the way from what part of the uk uh, Buckinghamshire, right in the center of the... Buckinghamshire, right in the center of the uh, British Isles, and they're here, and they drove all the way from about Tallahassee. Is that what you said today? I'm so foggy right now. I just It's been going on for a week and a half, actually almost two full weeks. But anyway, um, and then they're going down to Miami tomorrow. Yes. Is that correct? So thank you guys for making the effort to come here on Thursday night and spend a little uh, time with us. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, not at all. Um, okay, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 3, starting in verse 21 today. And uh, once again, to the folks online, I apologize. I just didn't know that the uh, the streaming was going on, and I was waiting for it to start. So um, let's see here. We got uh, Romans 3, verse 21. We have no gem here, so I'm just going to read, and uh, we'll just do our best with that. Let's see here. Romans 3, and verse 21 says, um, but now... But now, wonderful words, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, okay? Um, without even giving my comments, which I have typed up, uh, think about what it says, but it's something contrasted to what we've been going through. We went through all of this, the bad stuff. There's none righteous. There's, you know, blah, blah, blah going through there. Hi, Carol, how are you? And um, uh, the righteousness of God apart from the law, is revealed. So Paul has been telling us that the law couldn't make anybody righteous. It was impossible. And we'll see that on Sunday. I, we're going to be finishing up the book of Jonah. What an exciting finish I think it is. Um, but uh, it, the righteousness of God coming apart from the law. Only in the sense that when I say that, uh, when he says that it's apart from the law, it's that the law can't make us righteous, except through Christ. The law is deemed as fulfilled in us because of Christ. It's um, uh, what we would call imputation. We'll go through that in a, I don't know when we're going to get to that, but I've got it typed up here. And uh, when we get to the difference between imputation and impartation, that'll be something that you want to pay attention to. But um, here we go. My comments, um, after two chapters of laying out a defense against the possibility of man somehow being justified before God on his own merits, Paul now brings in words of amazing relief to the fallen soul. The word, but is used to show the contrast between the case he has so meticulously laid out and the introduction of new evidence, which can be submitted in man's defense. However, the new evidence is actually something witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
as Jesus said, you know, and was it John chapter five? He says, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life." And I know I'm going to misquote this, but he says, "They are what testify of me." The entire Old Testament, because there were, was no New Testament scriptures when he said that, the entire Old Testament testifies of Christ. And if you haven't seen that, if you've been following the Genesis and Exodus, the Ruth and the now the uh, Jonah sermons. If you missed that fact, you better go back and watch all those sermons because there's not one single line, not one word of this book that doesn't point to Jesus. It all testifies to Christ who is to come, all of it. And um, so uh, the term the law and the prophets is used to indicate the entire body of Scripture known as the Old Testament. In other words, this new evidence is not being introduced apart from Scripture. Instead, it has been continuously proclaimed throughout Scripture. Uh, before I go on, there are other ways that the uh, Old Testament is uh, summed up, the Law and the Prophets. You've got the, uh, the Psalms and the, pro you know, there'll be different terminology used two or three times. Jesus will say it one way, and then Paul will say it one way. But they, uh, the divisions are less important than understanding that when they say something like that, it is speaking of the whole body of Scripture, okay? They will say, like I say, the Law and the Prophets for a reason, or the Psalms and the Law and the Prophets, whatever. They'll say it when they say it for a reason, but each time it is to indicate the entire body of Scripture. All right. Um, instead, it has been continuously proclaimed, proclaimed throughout Scripture. The evidence is new to Paul's argument, not the basis for it. Okay. What he submits now is that the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The law has done its job. It has revealed man's fallen and condemned state before God. There is no hope, and Paul was very meticulous with this. We could go back and, you know, go through it all again, but it was obvious. Paul was very meticulous that the law could not make anybody righteous. It just simply showed us our, our condemnation, okay? It's revealed man's fallen and condemned state before God. There is no hope of being justified before him without something apart from the law. The law cannot justify. That's why, and I bring it up time and again, is that the Hebrew Roots Movement, it, all it is is it's a modern movement, which is exactly what Paul warns against in Romans and in Galatians and throughout the uh, New Testament, is that these Judaizers were coming in and they were saying, you have to observe the law of Moses, you need to be circumcised, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do one thing or another. And Paul vehemently rejected that. That is absolutely heresy because Christ fulfilled the law. It is done. People will say, okay, well, Christ fulfilled the law, but it's not completely fulfilled yet. I had somebody send me an email on this, uh, I think it was last week, and um, he was saying that um, uh, the law, he went back to Matthew and he said that until the law all is fulfilled, um, every jot and tittle needs to be adhered to. You know the verse I'm talking about from Matthew. And um, he said, and we know that it's not fulfilled because the fall feasts of the Lord are not fulfilled meaning you've got um, uh, the, the first, the spring feasts are um, start with the Passover and then you go to Bikarim, which is first fruits. And then after that, you've got um, Pentecost. And then after, um, I'm skipping one in there, um, the Passover, unleavened bread, Bikarim, and then you've got, um, uh, which is first fruits. And then you've got Shavuot, which is um, the feast of uh, Pentecost. And then you, those four, and then you've got the um, fall feasts, which are Rosh Hashanah, and you've got the Day of Atonement, and you've got Sukkot, or tabernacles. And people say that Christ came at the first advent to fulfill the first four feasts, and he's coming at the end of the age to fulfill the last three feasts. That is a heresy. 
That is untrue. Do not let people tell you that. That is absolute nonsense. Christ is our atonement. I can't think of anything more obvious in Scripture than the fact that Christ is our atoning sacrifice. When we get to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, you're going to see that as clearly as it can be. I've already defended a hundred times, and every time I do it, somebody comes back and they, they say, well, what about that day? Is Rosh Hashanah. They say, well, that's the day of the rapture. Christ is coming back. I'm not a picture of the rapture, okay? The uh, Rosh Hashanah was fulfilled in, does anybody remember? In Christ's birth. It was fulfilled in his birth. He was born on that day. It's the same day that Adam was created. He's the second Adam. He fulfilled that day literally and completely. And then tabernacles or Sukkot, what does it say in John 1, 14? And the word became flesh and tabernacle. dwelt. Tabernacle. The word is skeneo. It's the same word as the Greek Old Testament for tabernacle. He came and tabernacled among us. Right? They are fulfilled. To say that Christ did not fulfill the law and means that the law is still in effect for you and you must observe the law. That is a heresy. Out of my way, heretic. Okay? It is done. The law is completely done. Paul is telling us that right here. If people can't understand that, I feel bad for them. They get these things into their head, and they once it's in there, they will not see reason that it is done. Every part of that law in its entirety was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see it sermon after sermon after sermon. Guess what? The first of the Leviticus 23 feasts is actually what? I said Passover, but there's actually one that's recorded before the annual feasts. It's a weekly feast. It's called the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. hate to tell you, folks, Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Hebrews 4.3, go read it. In him, we have our rest. It's done. All right? Paul argues against it in the book of Romans. We're going to get to there. One person observes one day, another observes all day. You know, blah, blah, blah. He says, don't worry about it. In uh, the book of Colossians, he says... Um, uh, Sabbaths and new moons and festivals, speaking of the feasts of the Lord. He says they're fulfilled in Christ. What is that? Uh, uh, Colossians 2, 15 and 16. Let me read it to you right now just so you have that. And you can tell people these things, black and white, this is what it says, and what do they do? They say it doesn't say what it says because they've got it in their head that they need to somehow merit God's favor through the law. Colossians 2, verses, um, we'll start with um, 14. Having wiped out the handwriting. What is that speaking of? Whoa. The law. Whoa. Having wiped it out. The requirements that was against us and which was contrary to us, which he's speaking about right here in the book of Romans. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. His body was nailed to the cross. He fulfilled the law. He's speaking that Jesus Christ was nailed to the law in fulfillment of the law. Okay. Having nailed it to the cross. He is the fulfillment of the law. It's done. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Verse 16, so let no one judge you in drink, okay? Whatever you want to drink, which is forbidden in the law, it's not forbidden anymore. Or in food, pork, ham sandwich, go for it. It's, it's done, all right? Um, we're going to have pizza with some pork on it again pretty soon. won't be tonight because I didn't know we'd have anybody here. I thought everybody would be sick, so... Anyway, um, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival. Well, what are the festivals? Those are the feasts of the Lord. Passover and uh, first fruits and um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, first fruits and um, uh, Shavuot, all seven of them. Okay, don't let anybody uh, judge you in that. Or regarding a festival or a new moon, it was required every month on the new moon, the first of the month, they had to have a, a special festival, okay, to the Lord. Done. And then finally he says, or 
Sabbaths. And the reason why it says Shabbaton or Sabbath is in the plural is because it was a recurring festival every year. Sabbath, the Sabbath day represented by Sabbath of the year is done. All right. If somebody can't understand that and if they want to go home and have a Sabbath day, they're not doing it right anyway. All they're doing is making God angry as well because his son has already done it for you. So you're trying to add on to what his son has done and you're, you're disgracing the Lord. That's what's happening when you say, I have to observe a Sabbath day. Because people often say, you know, uh, Sabbath day, speaking of Sunday. That's category mistake. The Sabbath is a Saturday. It's the last day of the week for the Jewish people. There's no such thing as a Sunday Sabbath. You can say I have a Sunday day of rest, but it's not a Sabbath as mandated by the Lord. But the Sabbath day, the Saturday Sabbath is fulfilled. If you want to have one and you want to do it as your your thing to the Lord, go ahead. Paul will speak about that in Romans. But if somebody says you have to observe a Sabbath or you're not saved, they're the heretic. They are the one that have set aside the grace of Jesus Christ, and they are the one that has to stand in front of the Lord and explain why what Christ did for them was insufficient. Okay, so listen to that, and then it says in verse 17, which are a shadow. They were just looking forward to Christ. Typology, just like we see week after week after week, and we're going to see in the book of Jonah chapter 4 this weekend, that's all we're going to see from verse 5 through verse 11. It's typology, metaphor, and allegory. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. It doesn't say the substance or of you working your way to heaven. They are of Christ. You are in Christ. It is done. Okay? So I, I feel so bad for people that get caught up in these heresies, literal heresies, because they're unwilling to simply understand that grace is grace. It's unmerited favor. You cannot earn grace. If you try to earn his favor, you've offended him. You will receive no grace from him. That's how it works in, in New Testament theology. You put your trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Not related to this, but that's all right. David said that Saul will miss me at new moon. Yep. My place will be empty, and he did miss him. So did they have to you was talking about on the Well, you know, I think what that was is that because they had the new moon celebrations and he was a part of the king's inner court, he was expected to be there. Yeah. In other words, you know, it would be like saying um, uh, every week we're going to have a Sabbath and we're all going to go down to the synagogue. And if David isn't there, which they didn't have synagogues that early, I don't think. But anyway, what I'm saying is if they're all there and he doesn't see David, then they say, well, surely he must be unclean. He'll be here tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't there. So they didn't have a prophet or somebody to come in to that. To officiate there. I wouldn't think so. I think it was just a celebration, you know, and uh, they had certain things that they were required to do by the law, uh, you know, down at the temple, but then they had their other things that they would observe. This uh, new moon. Well, anyway, I won't get into the new moon right now, but it is uh, outlined in, uh, I don't even remember exactly where the details for it are, but um, it's just one of the things that Paul is referring to. And actually, what he's doing there, I don't think they have it. Uh, well, I've already turned the page. He's actually going back to, I think it's Amos, it might be Hosea, where he actually just quotes what Hosea is saying there using the exact same terminology, the Sabbaths and the new moons and the festivals, and he just applies it in the New Testament saying it's done. It's done, folks. Anyway, um, so um, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The law has done its job. It has revealed man's fallen in condemned state before God. There is no hope of being justified before him without something apart from it, meaning Jesus, but there is in fact something apart from it. The necessary righteousness has been, past tense folks, has been revealed, 
And so we are taken right back to Romans verse 117, which says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by works of the law and observing the Sabbath. No, faith. All right, verse 16, I should go back and say what, what he's referring to. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then he says, for in it, the gospel of Christ is the righteousness of God. It is the righteousness of God. If you can't understand that, if you think that you have to observe a certain feast, and the question is, if you believe that, if you believe that you are required to observe those things, then why aren't you down in Jerusalem sacrificing your lamb every new moon, and why aren't you doing all the things that are required under the law? Because if you're not observing the law in its entirety, the man who does these things will live by them, right? Leviticus 18, 19, I think, which Paul cites in the New Testament. If you're not doing them, he cites it in Romans 10. Let me read that to you really quickly. If you're not doing them, then you're not righteous. If you miss one precept of the law, you're guilty before the law. What does he say here? Um, uh, do, 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 do. I think it's in Romans. Uh, yeah, verse 5, 10, 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Well, nobody can do them, right? And then he goes, well, we'll get into Romans 10 next week probably. So, um, hello, can we help you, ma'am? We're, we're all just asking about you, wondering if you're okay. So praise the Lord you are. Have you had this sickness that everybody else has had? No, good. Okay, good, good, good. Grab a seat and uh, pay attention. Um, yeah, she had me. That's enough to make her sick. That's right. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah, I was... Uh, I was once in a woman's body. <laughs> and then I was born. Yeah. Yeah. This this whole transgender thing is so crazy. I posted on my uh, Facebook a picture of a Chuck Norris with a machine gun. He says, I was once trapped in a woman's body. <laughs> and then I was born. Oh, okay. Oh, well, let's see. Okay, so Romans 117, we got that out of the way. The faith is for everyone who believes, everyone who believes, nobody who works is of faith. Nobody. If you work, you are not a faith. You are excluded from God's plan of salvation. Excluded. If you're observing a Sabbath, if you're doing all these Hebrew roots movement things, you are excluded. I'm sorry. Grace does not extend to works. It does not extend to works. you got to remember that. If people tune into this and they can't understand that and they get caught up in this Hebrew roots movement, they've done it to themselves. Now, if somebody is saved, they are saved. That's right. But... Who is the one that suffers when you go back into precepts of the law? The person. Your whole life is miserable. You're not obedient to the Lord. The Lord is not going to favor you. You're going to be neurotic. You're going to, have I done enough to please God? And you're going to go right back into the same thing that everybody has been in all along. What do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? And you're pulling your face and you're thinking, oh, have I pleased God enough? Believe. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law in its entirety. The feasts of the Lord are done. Every precept in the law is done. It is over. Guess what? We are in a new covenant, right? We're in a new covenant. This blood is, this is my blood in the almost fulfilled covenant of the Old Testament, right? No. He says, this is my blood in the new covenant. If you have a new covenant, you set aside the old. Read the book of Hebrews. It says it explicitly. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10. It is set aside. It is obsolete. It is annulled. Anybody in Christ, it is done. It is done. If you're not in Christ, then you're obligated to that old covenant still. 
and you'll never make it. Keep working your way to heaven, folks. Here we go. Um, read, read the First Corinthians one thirty. One Corinthians one verse thirty. He wants me to read. So we're going to do that. One Corinthians two verse eight. Okay, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's right. Very good. And then it says that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in your works, right? No, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He has done it, not us. It's not of us. It is of Christ. All we can do is receive it. Once it's received, it's done. Okay. Um, the faith is for everyone who believes the gospel of Christ, which I said was verse 16. It is this act which brings the righteousness of God to fallen man. Now that this is understood, it is necessary to evaluate what this actually means, okay? There is a sharp divergence of thought at this point between the ideologies of John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. Calvinism teaches that it is an imputed righteousness, okay? Now, just because I'm not a tulip Calvinist doesn't mean that Calvin didn't have proper theology in other areas. Everybody's deficient in something. I don't know where I'm deficient in my theology because if I was, I wouldn't be teaching it. I wouldn't purposely teach something wrong, but we are all deficient in something in our theology. We're not Christ, okay? But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when we say, well, I disagree with John Calvin's tulip, you know, the, the, the five points that we went through before. We don't do that because John Calvin had good things to say, right? Jacob Arminius had some good things to say, but here we go. I knew that we'd get to imputation soon, and we're right there now. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, necessary to evaluate John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. Calvinism teaches that it is an imputed righteousness, whereas Arminius claims that it is an imparted righteousness. Does anybody know the difference? Okay, here we go. Imputation means to ascribe or credit something. Christ fulfilled the law. He died in fulfillment of the law. If I believe that, he credits that to my account. I am credited his righteousness. God looks at me and he says, he is righteous because of my son. He looks through the lens of Jesus Christ to see me. Okay? There. Um, uh, impartation signifies to give something. I'm imparting it. It's a big word. Just take off the I-O-N and you get impart, right? I'm going to impart to you some wisdom. If I impart to you wisdom, it is now yours completely, right? You possess the wisdom that I give you. Charlie Garrett is very, very handsome. And now you all know that, so that's been imparted to you. It's not something that's been imputed to you. You don't need to be told it again. Now you know that Charlie Garrett is handsome. You'll never forget it. What? You need to be told again. Okay, maybe it's not imparted to you then. Anyway, that's that's what imparting is. I am imparting something to you. It is now yours. It is inherently yours. It belongs to you completely and entirely. Okay? So, if righteousness is imparted, it would mean that the believer is infused with righteousness. Let me ask you something. Are you infused with righteousness? Are you righteous in and of yourself no. because of Jesus? No, absolutely not. You are righteous because of Christ. He has imputed to you his righteousness. I guarantee you, if you think that you're imparted righteousness, that you don't know what your dreams are telling you and that you're delusional when you wake up and say that I've lived a perfect day. I have not sinned all day long, all right? Imparted righteousness means that you are righteous because of yourself. That has been given to you. It now belongs to you, okay? To understand more clearly, perhaps it's best to turn to these two, uh, turn it into these two statements of declaration. Imputation would say, I believe the gospel 
I let me get my eraser here. I believe the gospel. This is Charlie Garrett says, I got my little piece of chalk left. It's almost done. Charlie Garrett here believes the gospel, CG, not GC. Charlie Garrett believes the gospel, and I have now had that imputed to me. Let me read what I was going to say here. I am counted. I am deemed as righteous. This is imputation. I am deemed as righteous. Christ died. He is perfectly righteous. That righteousness is counted, accredited to me. I am deemed as righteous. Impute, impartation, I believe the gospel. Charlie Garrett says, oh, I believe the gospel, and I am righteous. That would be Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous, and now he has given that to me 100%. I am righteous. Now, that doesn't mean that I am righteous, and I can't say I am righteous because of Christ. That would be imputation again. This is saying I am now righteous in and of myself, okay? He has imparted his righteousness to me, and I am righteous. Everything I do is righteous, and that is not correct. As I said, we all make mistakes. We all err. We all do things we shouldn't do. Anybody that thinks that they are imparted righteous, go over to an Armenian church and live with them. Okay, that is incorrect. You are deemed as righteous. Christ, God looks at the cross, and he says, Charlie Garrett is there with my son on the cross. And I am crediting to his account righteousness, imputed righteousness. Okay, so there is a difference between the two. The body of evidence is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believer actually at this time, but that Christ's righteousness is imparted to the believer potentially. You see, anytime you talk about potential and actual, it helps to clarify things. Um, uh, uh, What's another example that we could use potentiality? Oh, salvation, right? I, uh, um, Have been and what? will be saved. Well, that's right. <laughs> Say it again. Have been. Have been. Am. Am. And will, and be. will be saved. That's a very good way of saying it for the individual. Or you could say that Christ's, Christ died unlimited atonement for all people on the earth. There is nobody that cannot be saved by Jesus Christ's blood, but not actually everybody is saved. So potentially, Christ has died for everybody. Actually, Christ has died only for the elect, the people that have received him, okay? John Calvinism would say that Christ only died for the elect and nobody else. There is no potential in the, the teaching of Calvinism for a person that is not elect. In other words, God selects this person and he says, you are going to be saved and this person is never going to be saved and therefore, they are out and you are in. Even though you might not, might not be saved yet, you are one of the elect. That's not how God works. And we'll go through that with the duck example pretty soon. I'm not going to do it today because it'll take the whole class and we don't have a whole class anymore. Genesis 15, 6 with Abraham. That's right. Abraham believed God and they credited to him for righteousness. Yeah. Right? But what will a Calvinist say if you, if you say, well, what about Abraham? They'll say, well, God regenerated Abraham in order to believe and then he believed. They'll just take their New Testament theology and they insert it into the Old Testament. How do I know that? I'm sure I told you this before. Is I was I wrote to a, a doctor of systematic theology on um, uh, this particular doctrine, and he was talking about how you know the uh, limited atonement and you're regenerated in order to believe. And I said, well, how do you explain Genesis five where it says Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away? And all he did was cut and paste his theology, put the name Enoch in there instead of somebody else. 
And he sent it to me and he says, well, it's obvious that he was regenerated in order to believe. And then he believed. And so he inserted an entire, it was like a four page document. He sent me an entire document into one line of scripture, which is as clear as it could be. That says that Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away. It doesn't say anything about God regenerating him in order to believe or anything else. But that's the problem with not thinking things through. So we have, um, uh, read that sentence again. The body of evidence is that Christ's righteousness is imputed, were deemed as righteous <laughs> um, to the believer actually at this time. Right now, we are imputed his righteousness. God looks at us and says, I deem you as righteous but that Christ's righteousness is imparted to the believer potentially. It hasn't happened yet. Being actually reserved for a future time. Say it one more time. I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. Exactly. There you go. Man is justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ, but he is not actually righteous at this time apart from Jesus Christ. Okay, it is not an imparted righteousness, it is an imputed righteousness. At this time, we are righteous before God because of Christ, not because of ourselves. At some point, we will be righteous because of ourselves. We will be, begins with G-L-O and ends with glorified. Okay, that's right, glorified. Um, so, um, uh, he is not actually righteous. He continues to sin after salvation. All right, anybody here ever sinned after getting saved? I did about four years ago. I have to admit it. Okay. Um, you never read First John. First John. What? Oh, I know what you're going to say. He uh, uh, sins. Who, who says he not sins a liar? Yeah, he says he not sinned is a liar. That's right. Okay. So it, that's exactly right. You you will continue to sin until the day that you die, or the rapture takes place, and we go up to be with him, and he takes care of all that. Um, he continues to sin after salvation. A good example of this is uh, uh, Peter. Peter, found in Galatians 2, 3, 16, uh, 13 through 16. So I'm going to read you that. Um, Galatians 2, 13 through 16. This is a guy that's saved, right? Does anybody doubt that Peter was saved as the apostle to the Jews? Okay, we wouldn't doubt that, okay? Uh, he was restored when? When was he restored? Yeah, that's right, by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee when uh, and Jesus was Jordan, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, okay? And uh, so he was restored. Anybody doubt that he was saved at that point? He was speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2, right? He gave repentance to the people and told them what to do so that they could be saved, right? So I wouldn't doubt that Peter was saved. Does anybody think he lost his salvation? No? Okay, well, let's read what it says in Galatians 2, starting, I think I said 13. Uh, it says... Um, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, he's bringing this up in front of Peter. Peter is sinning in this. It's not that Peter is just making a mistake. He is sinning, okay? Um, if you, being a Jew, meaning Peter, live in the manner of the Gentiles, which he'd been doing, he'd been living with the Gentiles, and he went to Cornelius' house and right? He, which something he wasn't supposed to do. All right. Why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, okay? So he's rebuking Peter. Peter is sinning by going in with the Judaizers, siding with them, and harming the 
faith of the young believers, the Gentile believers, right? And that's what he's, so obviously Peter has sinned, and yet he was saved. He was not imparted Christ's righteousness. He was imputed Christ's righteousness, okay? I have another example here from 2 Corinthians 11, which says um, 2 Corinthians 11, 29, which says, um, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. So Paul is admitting he's a sinner. He's a weak person. He stumbles, he falls, and Christ picks him back up. He was not imparted righteousness. He was imputed righteousness. All right? Um, however, Paul indicates that in God's mind, we are both glorified and seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Let me take you to where those are so you have the references. Romans 8 verse 30 says, uh, 8 verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, this is all past tense, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. In God's mind, it is done. These people that write to me and say, well, you can't be saved, Charlie, because you're telling people that uh, they don't lose their salvation, right? The Bible tells it. I'm not the one that made that up. The Bible made it up. You are glorified in God's mind. He is not going to unglorify you in his mind. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. If he's done that and he's given you that as a guarantee and it doesn't come true, then his guarantee was worth nothing, right? And plus it means that he made a mistake. God's guarantee is worth, it's the most valuable thing in the universe. Nothing can thwart God's will. If he says you're guaranteed redemption because of the Holy Spirit, you will be redeemed. Anyway, um, I have that second uh, reference I wanted to read you from Ephesians 2, 6, but I'm going to take you back a little bit and read you a, a little more of the context so you have it. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 6. But like I said, he says, we are seated in the heavenly places, but I want to give you the, the, the train of thought. Verse 2, and you he made alive. You he made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, and he made you alive because of faith in Christ. Okay. Um, you who made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world. I'll stop right there. R.C. Sproul uses that particular verse, Calvinists in general. I always say Sproul because he's the one that I learned from. But um, uh, Calvinists in general will say that if you are dead in trespasses and sins, then you can't save yourself. Well, nobody ever said that you're saving yourself. But he's taking the cat, making the category mistake that says that if you are dead in your trespasses and sins, that you can't see the good in God. And therefore, God must regenerate you in order to believe. He's not saying that at all. The Bible doesn't say that. He is saying that you are dead, spiritually dead, not physically dead. Your motor up here is still working in most people. But anyway, um, your brain is working. You are able to make decisions. You can choose the good. You can reject the bad, right? Doesn't mean you always do that, but you can do that. You have been given the knowledge of good and evil, right? Right back at the fall of man. We have that knowledge. Okay, so um, having said that, that is a category mistake to say that God must regenerate you in order to believe because you're dead in trespasses and sins. He's speaking about your spirit, not who you are as a human being. Okay, you have no spiritual connection to God when you are conceived. The moment you are conceived, David tells us in the 51st Psalm, I was sinful from birth and God cannot accept a sinful human being. The disconnect exists from the moment that you're conceived. That's why Christ came. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, okay, dead and trespasses, verse 2, in which you also walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the whole premise of the Bible, and I say this again and again from different verses in the, the New Testament, is that the devil holds power over this world, over all people in this world. Does anybody disagree with that? Because Jesus didn't dispute it when the devil took him up and he said, all of this has been given to me and I give it to you. He has complete authority over this world. The devil. 1 John 3, 8, the reason that the Son of Man was manifest is that is to destroy the works of the devil. That's right. He is in control. Christ came to undo that. All right. So, um, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Anybody not in Christ is a son of disobedience, among whom also, proof right here, everybody not in Christ is a son of disobedience. We also once were conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. John three eighteen. he who does not believe is condemned already. God's wrath remains on you until you come to Christ. You are a child of wrath by nature, okay? Just as the others. He was saying, we were, all others are, unless you're in Christ, you are a child of wrath. He's angry at you because of the sin that you have inherited because of what your first father did. Boy, is that not sobering. Okay, um, among whom also, I read that, but verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace, I said grace. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, okay? Oh, that's what I wanted right there. And raised us up together and made us sit. Past tense, okay? It together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are sitting there right now with a P, potentially. All right, we're not actually sitting in heaven, are we? I hope not, because if this is heaven, then it's, you know, it's a long, long existence of misery, if you ask me. But uh, anyway, but he says, we are right now, we are right now in Christ. We are right now seated with him in the heavenly places, according to God's mind. There's a potential placement of us already there. Anybody that can't see once saved, always saved, and that you are eternally saved, hasn't thought these verses through. Plus, it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. It doesn't say kind of partial salvation or, you know, if you uh, if you do something wrong, God's going to unsave you and then he has to resave you and reseal you with the Holy Spirit. And there's this long life of pulling on your face and wondering if I've done enough. There's none of that. Christ saves. All right. Uh, what is it? Um, I'm going to get this wrong. Um, manual shoots. It goes to the goal. Jesus saves. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> I knew I wouldn't get that right. Whatever. That's, anyway. that's just for the UK, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah that, exactly. Okay. Um, all right. It was good when I heard it. Anyway, I can't remember. I'm the worst joke person in the world. I, uh, I, I am the worst joke. I can remember like three jokes in the whole world. I don't know why that is. My brother, Ethan. That guy can remember every joke he's ever heard in his life. He's incredible. Incredible. Can he? He can remember every joke he's ever heard. I can remember one. This is so stupid. Does anybody know how to top a car? Top a car. Tap on the brake, stupid. Oh, gee. <laughs> I, 
I, I told you, I can't remember them, and the ones I do remember are so stupid. And nobody is here is stupid. That was just a joke, okay? Um, okay, so um, I read those, and then I read that. Okay, Ephesians 2, 6. Even though we're actually still here on earth and living out our lives, we are potentially, and we are in God's mind, sitting with Christ in glory, okay? What has been accomplished in the eternal state is still future to us in our temporal reality. We are promised that we are sitting in heaven right now. God looks at us that way, but we are still suffering in this temporal reality. If you don't believe me, ask Pat, who's been in bed, what, for a week and a half now? I, terrible. I'm so sorry. You know what? I was saying to Burke before anybody got here today, you and the bridges have been on my mind all week long. I got to tell you what. And Paul, I never heard back from him, but I did send you that email and say, if I can do anything to help, let me know. Because no Elaine there, and I thought I wouldn't have survived if Hedica wasn't around. It was a tough week. So I, I'm so happy you have family with you to take care of you. But um, the what? Good. You betcha. All right. So what has been accomplished in the eternal state is still future to us in our temporal, temporal reality. Hebrews 11, 39, and 40 is another ver- set of verses that show us that this is so. It says there, and all these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not all these, I said things, it doesn't say things, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, implying that we are not made perfect yet, okay? We are deemed as perfect, we are deemed as righteous, we are deemed as sitting in the heavenly places, but it has not happened yet, because he wouldn't have written that verse saying that, you know, apart from us, if we had been, okay? These things uh, may seem like hair splitting, and some people may watch the video and say, well, I don't care about all that. I mean, we had somebody, uh, some people that, uh, well, anyway, some people came by and uh, at the class one time, and they said, well, that's just too deep. We don't need that. So they want to go to a Bible study, and they want to hear about how good life is going to be. I don't know. But to me, it may seem like hair splitting, but here's the rest of my comment on this. But they are of great importance when thought through. Our current relationship with God and our ability to lose our salvation, our rewards, and losses are all contingent on the issues that we're looking at right now. Everything that we've been talking about bears on our eternity with God, and it also bears on our right now. Because if you believe that you can lose your salvation, as Methodist Church will teach you, in other words, Arminius-leaning churches, they will say, well, yes, you can lose your salvation. There's a word for that type of theology. It begins with the B and it ends with ondage. Anybody? Bondage. Bondage, that's right. Because now the reverend at that church can tell you, well, you know, you've lost your salvation. He has control over you because of that. Now, I want to tell you that most people in Methodist churches and churches of God and all that don't even know that. They have no idea what the theology of the seminary is. And I know this because I think I brought this up in this class. If I haven't, great. If I have, then you'll hear it again. But the church of God that used to be out on Fruitville Road, Right. They needed a new pastor, and all I knew the whole congregation, and like 20 of them emailed me and said, would you come and preach at our church? And I said, I can't, because Church of God, one, requires you have to be uh, ordained as a Church of God person from a Church of God seminary, but secondly, they teach you can lose your salvation, they, and I went through all the list of things that they taught, and they said, well, we believe what you believe. And I said, well, then come over to Grace Baptist Church, and they did. Remember that? Like 50 of them came over in one weekend. They were like... The, the church bloomed that weekend because they were like, we never knew that. And they just don't teach that kind of stuff when they're in the pulpit. But this is what people need to know. 
This is what the doctrine of that seminary is. And if you get somebody, somebody that does teach that openly, then you've got a real problem because everybody's worried about, I've lost my salvation. Is that, is that in the book of doctrines? Methodist Church, because I do. Well, it, it's what they teach at their seminaries. They teach really? the doctrines of Jacob Arminius. And really? so that's where they're, uh, it's called Wesleyan Arminianism. Because John Wesley. And I were saved when we were involved in the Methodist Church. Right, and you never calls. would have known that. Because you're at the Methodist no, they Church. They taught us that we were taught that you couldn't lose yourself. Well, there you go, because they don't even know their own doctrine. They don't know the doctrine of what the seminary teaches. But John Wesley was a, it, 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 we'll go through it again. Remember yeah. the doc no, examples? Wesley, yeah. Wesleyan yeah. Arminianism. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that. what they teach. That is what they believe, is that you can lose your salvation. That it is up to somebody else to determine your state in this world until Christ comes and decides you've been good enough to make it into heaven. That's absolutely insane. That's crazy, and that is bondage. That's what that is. Christ came to deliver us from that type of stuff, not to infect us with it. But on the surface, when you listen to Arminius, you say, wow, isn't that liberating? And you listen to his arguments, and you say, well, I don't like Calvinism because it's so uh, stern and, and, and demanding. Now, I like this Arminius, but to come to find out, it's just the opposite. It's actually, it, it's more bondage than, than uh, Calvinism. Calvinism at least teaches that if you're the elect, you're the elect forever. They just say that not everybody is the elect and that God is going to regenerate you in order to be with the elect, right? So there's a happy medium between the two, and that's the duck example that we'll go through. Uh, uh, the four examples are um, um, pre-lapsinarianism, sub-lapsinarianism, pre-lapsinarianism, post-lapsinarianism, sub-lapsinarianism, and uh, Wesleyan Arminianism. Those are the four major categories. There are others. That's the one that will take you through, and I won't do it this week. Like I said, it'll take a while to get through it. But those four doctrines will tell you what did God do and when. And it's important to understand before we get into that, I'll explain this right now, is that God does not think sequentially. He doesn't think from one thing to the next. We do, okay? So when I give you an example and say that this is what um, Calvinism teaches, it is so we can logically understand it that God made a decree, he makes another decree, he makes another decree, okay? But God doesn't think that way. That's just simply the logical outcropping of what is taught by this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine. God knows everything immediately and intuitively. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he will ever learn. He will never grow in knowledge. He'll never grow in wisdom. He'll never grow in grace or love. He is love. Okay, it's we that have to understand how God is working in redemptive history. We are the ones that have to make the boxes to understand what God has done. Okay, so that's it's just important to understand that because when you teach that God made this decree and then this decree and then this decree, you say, well, that's God making choices. It doesn't work that way. It's just how does logically did he ordain the fall to happen? When did he ordain for Jesus Christ to go to the cross? When did he ordain for that to be effectual in our lives? That is the process that we have to go through. But in God, it's all happening at the same time. He has decided it, it was determined, and time began, and so did, you know, what's happening in the stream of time. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, so um, uh, where was I? This is so, okay, I did that. They seem like hair splitting. Our current relationship with God, our ability to lose our salvation, our rewards and losses, all of these are contingent on these issues. Having incorrect ideas concerning these things can only lead us down unhappy avenues in our Christian life. And so it's good to get them right. That's why we do these things. And most people don't care. 
they don't, well, I'm saved. And, you know, but like I said, if they think, well, I'm saved and I don't care, I don't need to know all of that stuff. And I don't need to have my head hurt on Thursday night or whatever. Well, the problem is that someday something is going to happen in their life and they are not going to be able to answer that question. And what are they going to do? They're going to email you and they're going to say, well, what about this? And if you tell them, (laughs) well, you know, yeah, you can lose their salvation. Well, guess what? My daughter died yesterday and she was on drugs at the time. Now you're telling me she's in hell? You have completely changed that person's outlook forever because of something that you have misunderstood and you have incorrectly applied to what you've told to this grieving mother or this grieving father or whatever. It's really important that we understand proper theology. It's really important because it affects everything that we do in this life at some point, at some point. Most of the time, it doesn't matter. You just, la, 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 I'm going down to the beach and I'm going swimming. But there is a time when you need to understand that this is going to come to you. And you've got to be able to say either, I remember that, I can tell you about it, or I know who knows, let me send you in his direction, okay? But one way or another, people are going to come to you if you are a living testimony for Jesus Christ. They're going to say, I want to know what you know. And if you don't know properly, they're going to suffer, okay? Um, When did you get here, Steve? Yeah, last night. Last night. Well, it's good to have you here. It's real good to have you here. I, was, I always think about him at 7-Eleven because when he's here, he usually walks up while I'm picking up the cigarette butts and stuff, and I'm, I look pretty rough when I'm there, don't I? You know, I've got my old dirty pants on and dirty shirt, and he says, hey, buddy, can I give you a dollar? And I turn it's, it's him. So. I just say what everybody's thinking. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, life application. We'll go on to another verse. Um, are you now righteous because of Christ's work? Or are you counted righteous because of Christ's work? Others are evaluating you and making their decisions about Christianity based on your attitude. And this is reflected in what you believe to be true. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should, lest you fall and bring discredit upon Jesus' name. Right? If you think you have been imparted righteousness and you're telling everybody that, and all of a sudden they see that you really aren't imparted righteousness, you've really brought a stain on the name of Jesus, haven't you? Like I said, it seems like when you listen to Arminius, it seems like it's freeing and it's liberty and, oh, he's a great, great thinker. And then you get just a little farther down in the logical stream of what he is teaching and you realize this is really bad stuff, okay? Like I said, Calvin goes in the opposite direction with his major doctrines, but there is a happy medium between the two, and it almost always comes down to the words that begin with P and A, potential and actual. And as long as you can make the distinction between the two, I am potentially in heaven with Christ. I am actually here on uh, you know, uh, earth right now. Then you've made that leap. Or I am that person is potentially saved by Jesus, but they're not actually saved by Jesus. Right? then you will avoid going too far with Calvin, and you'll also avoid going into the Arian heresy, or the uh, Arminian heresy, I should say. Anyway, verse 322. All right, let's see here. Great verse here. Verse 322. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. There is no difference. Let me read uh, verse 21 again so you have it in context. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law... The law has no bearing on your righteousness except that it was fulfilled in Christ, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They testified of Jesus Christ, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It doesn't say to all and on all who 
are regenerated in, in order to believe. It doesn't say anything like that ever in Scripture. It has to be inserted into your theology, for there is no difference. 322. It will help to understand this verse better. Oh, right there, by going back to verse 21 and reading, which I just did. The righteousness of God noted here is not a law based on righteousness in and of itself, although the law does play a part in it. Paul says it is apart from the law, okay? So this must be carefully considered. To us, the righteousness of God is faith-based righteousness. That is our righteousness, faith-based. It has nothing to do with the law. Our righteousness does not say don't eat pork. Our righteousness does not say you must stay inside on the Sabbath and no lighting a, a light and all of those things that people try to reinsert into their lives. It doesn't say any of that. Our righteousness is faith-based. Everybody's got that, right? No works of the law at all. None in order to please God. All right? But uh, where was I? Uh, Paul has shown that all are under a sentence of condemnation because of the law be it natural or mosaic law. He did that all the way through the past three chapters. We simply cannot measure up to what God has revealed to us. doesn't matter if we're under the law of Moses or not. We're still condemned by what we can see in the tree or what we can see in the flower. There is a God that is infinitely glorious that can create a flower that smells so beautiful at night, that fills my eyes with delight, and it brings in bees that suddenly do something there, and then they take that back and they make honey, and then I taste the honey, and everything just comes together when you contemplate what God has done. You look out over the forest, and there's 10 billion shades of green. You think, how can there be so many shades of green alone? Because God is really wise, right? And you think about these things. Just think on natural revelation. You don't need to think about the law at all, and you are condemned because you know that this God is way, way above you. And that's what Paul was saying. The natural law itself is enough to condemn us. However, Jesus could fulfill the law, and he did. He was born without inherited sin, and he lived perfectly without ever violating God's law. Okay? Plus, he was born under the law. So, we'll go through that really quickly. He was um, born without inherited sin. How did that happen? Somebody explain that to me. I've said it a million times. How did how was he born without inherited sin? His father is God and sin travels through the male. That's the picture of circumcision. I am going to cut the male organ in my redeemed people as a picture of Christ to come. That picture is that sin will someday be cut. That's why it said the seed of the woman, okay? Now, we're all the seed of Adam. Every one of us, even Christ, was the seed of Adam because he's a human being, right? He came through Mary, but he is not the seed that's being spoken of in that sense. His father is God. So it's speaking of the father transition to from father to child. He's still a son of um, Adam through Mary. Mary came through Adam, and Jesus came through Mary. So he's a son of Adam through Mary, but... The father is the transmitter of sin, and because she is a vehicle for carrying him only, he did not inherit sin. Circumcision is that picture, okay? That's how he could be born without sin. Doesn't matter that he's fully human and that he is a son of Adam. He did not inherit sin. So, there you go. That's the first part. And he lived perfectly without ever violating God's law. How do we know that that is true? How do we know that Jesus died without violating God's law? Can any of you accuse me of sin? That's one of them right there, okay? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Okay, that's it. The purpose of the gospel accounts is to show that he fulfilled God's law. 
That's the purpose. That's why we were given the Gospels. That's why in the picture of the ark, remember you had the rings, okay? And they tied to the word of God with the two poles. The two poles are the Old and New Testament. you got the four rings, which are the four Gospels, which show us Christ, which then goes into the ark, which is a picture of Christ in every single detail, covered with the mercy seat. Everything was looking forward to him, okay? He fulfilled the law. The purpose of the Gospels was to show us that he fulfilled the law. And then he died. He asked, can anybody convict me of sins? No. Pilate said, I find no uh, oh. fault in this man, right? Okay, so you've got all of these things that testify to that. That's why the Gospels are given. And then he <clears throat> was crucified. Big deal. A million people are crucified in the world all the time, right? He's just another guy that died and is going to be buried away. The big deal is that he popped out of the grave to prove that he was without sin. The next verse is going to show us that. The wages of sin is death, right? Well, if he had no sin of his own, then death could not hold him. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, it was impossible for death to hold him. Why? Because he had no sin. So he was born without sin. He was born under God's law, and he fulfilled God's law. All right, so everybody understand all of those. Any question on that? Okay, so... We have he's born uh, perfectly without ever violating God's law as proven by this precious document. Okay, now by faith in his work, the righteousness of God is imputed to us. We are deemed as righteous. Okay, this goes back to the concept of being declared righteous simply by taking God at his word. He cited it earlier. Go ahead and do it again. Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's correct. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. By simple faith in what seemed otherwise impossible, God declared Abraham righteous. He said, look up at the stars, count them if you can, thus shall your descendants be. He had no wife. I mean, he had a wife, he had no child, and his wife was old. The chances of him having a child through Sarah were minuscule, and he knew it. And yet he believed. He said, I'm going to believe God and I am going to uh, trust that what he said is true. And God simply took that act of faith, Genesis 15, 6, and counted it to him for righteousness. Now, while it's on my mind, and we're going to go through it at least four more times in Romans, but when did that happen? Was Abraham circumcised when that happened? No. no. That is a picture for you all in its own. He was not circumcised when he was deemed righteous. I got my beard stuck in my necklace. Sorry about that. He was um, uh, uh, deemed righteous before he was circumcised, meaning that circumcision has no bearing. That's right. No bearing on his righteousness. It has nothing to do with it. He was declared righteous, and then like 20 years later, he was asked to do the sign of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. Righteousness cannot be of circumcision. And that's Paul's argument in which book of the Bible? Galatians, that's right. In the book of Galatians, he uses circumcision as a benchmark. Doesn't matter what precept. You could put in the Sabbath, you could put in eating pork, you could put in any precept, and it bears the same. But he chose circumcision because it is such an important tenet in Jewish society. Is that I have this mark to prove that I am of the righteous people, right? Then he's saying that has nothing to do with it. Circumcision is of the heart, not of the flesh, right? Okay, so um, uh, Abraham was declared righteous. God knows our weaknesses, and so he asks for us to trust him and his promises. When we do, the righteousness of God, as he says right here in verse 22, the righteousness of God is revealed in us, and it is based on faith in what Jesus Christ did. 
Not on what we will ever do, not on anything we have ever done, certainly. It is based solely on what Jesus Christ did. That is what he is asking us to do, is to trust. He's going to explain this very clearly in the book of Romans chapter 10. He's going to tell you what you do need to do in order to be saved. It's a very simple thing. I had somebody uh, email me uh, just recently, a, a very strong Christian in my opinion. He's young uh, as a Christian, but he loves the Bible. He loves the Word. He's got somebody mentoring him, and uh, he's in another country, and he's mentoring him through the Internet. But he emailed me, and he said, uh, there are people that are in Catholicism here, and what do I tell them? He says, uh, they can't be saved, can they? And I said, anybody can be saved. I, I uh, told him, what you need to do in order to be saved is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? And he says, well, how do I do that? And I said, go read Romans 10, 9, and 10, and don't muddy the waters any further. Don't muddy the waters. God has made it incredibly, it's the hardest thing to do, don't get me wrong, because you have to take all of you and put it off to the side, but he's made it easy in another way is that Romans 9, 10, and 11, I don't understand how people can't get that. Or even John three sixteen. if you just want to make it a little simpler for you know, people like me that aren't so smart to understand is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and does this or this or this or this or this, you know, people love to add in their pet peeve into John three sixteen. Don't muddy the waters. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't muddy the waters. Keep the gospel simple, all right? After that, it's doctrine. It's doctrine. You go the rest of your life learning and learning and learning. And it would be, as I said in the sermon, I think it was Sunday, it would be so much easier for the Lord to come and take us out of here today. We're all asking for the Lord to come and rapture us out of here. And I got to tell you what, Monday mornings are really difficult. And they go all the way through until Monday night. Sermon typing is the hardest day of the week for me. She knows I usually just, I'm pointing back there, my wife isn't even here today. I just after dinner, I go lay on the couch and I never even walk upstairs. I, I can't. I'm just debilitated. It would be so nice to not have to type these sermons. Theology is hard work. Preparing for Bible studies is hard work. Every morning when I do one of these devotionals, it takes me an hour to do it. I sit down, I type the thing up. I have to analyze it, make sure that I haven't got errors in there. It's hard work. But why do we do that? Is so that we can be studied to show ourselves approved. I know Burke does this every day as well. He's always sending out something that is one, uplifting, and two, it's theologically correct, right? Always. And why do you do that? It gives you headaches sometimes, doesn't it? And you go to bed at night and you're excited. Oh, I've got a new thing I'm going to send out. And you can't sleep because you're thinking about it and you wake up tired. But you do it because it means something to you and you know it's going to benefit the people you're sending it out to, right? That's why we do it. And that's why people come to Bible class is to hopefully to learn the word. Not to have a social class. But anyway, um, uh, where are we? Simple faith in what Christ did. It's revealed uh, in us, and it is based on faith in what Jesus Christ did. Now, many translations state here, through the faith of Jesus Christ, instead of through faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, it is possible to have the faith of Jesus Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. And so either is possible. Okay? Either is possible. The phrase faith of Jesus Christ is in what is known as the genitive form. Therefore, this is speaking about Jesus' faith, which he imparts to those who believe. There's an impartation there, not an imputation. All right. In order to understand this, we can go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let me read that to you. I know you can quote it yourself, but let's just read it directly from the word. It says here, 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, okay? The grace and the faith combined are the gift of God, and they are bestowed upon us because of the merits of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. To all and on all who believe, as he says in Romans 3.22 here, okay? Um, simple faith is the key to reconciliation with God the Father, and it is faith in the accomplished work of Jesus. Nothing else. What a bargain. Think of it. What a bargain. He hung on the cross. He got beaten. He had to live out that law. He had to live out the law perfectly. Every single detail of it. I, you know, it, just think. Just think of living your life in Israel and not messing up moment to moment to moment. You know, we're going to get into Leviticus here after this week's sermon. And the sacrifices say every time you do this or you do this or you do this or you do, you've got to go down and do a sacrifice. Imagine the stream of blood that flowed out of the temple in Jerusalem. Imagine it. If people were honest, they'd be down there every single morning with their next offering because of screwing up. You know, you got the Day of Atonement to wash all of that away. But then the next day, you got to go right back down, start it all again. Imagine the amount of animals that had to be sacrificed if people were honest about their lives. Okay. Um, the verse ends with, for there is no difference. Let me read the verse again. Even uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. This thought continues on into the next verse, and we will finish that, and then we'll be done for the day. But the idea here is that there is no distinction. Things can differ without having any real distinction. But there is more than just difference between Jew and Gentile in natural law and the Mosaic law. There is a distinction which is made until Jesus enters the picture. And once he, once he does, then there's no difference at all. When he does, all distinctions are set aside. Everything is set aside in Christ. Everything. Life application. Today, take time to look back over your life at the innumerable things you've done which are contrary to what is good. Little lies, secret faults of the heart, open rebellion, whatever it may be. Your sins have separated you from your God, and yet all of that is washed away, cleansed, and purified by someone else's work. Simple faith. Simple faith is what did it and what he did. Think on this and give God the glory for the giving of his son for you. All he asks is just to believe. You know, you think of the world and how I saw something that was so horrifying, and if you go on any prophecy sites, you probably saw it too, but something that I think it was Argentina, they had a... a, a a public display on the streets. I think it was in front of a courthouse or something. It was the grossest thing I've ever seen. I, I can't even tell you what it is. And it, it, it is that bad. It's so revolting what they did. Okay, it was just this past week. And I, it's the kind of thing that I would put into a prophecy update, but I can't even, I can't even say it. You know, I, I see a hundred things like this a day that are just so vile that I can't put it in there. But I will tell you that um, uh, these people are working against a God that loves them enough to make it so simple that all they have to do is believe. That's the thing that's astonishing, is that we just go through life hating God, working against him, laughing at him, mocking at him, doing all these things, and yet he's done everything to say, all you need to do is just trust me and we can have peace instead of what you're doing there. And, oh, I'm vile. Verse 323, one of the four verses that every single person should remember Every single person should remember verse 323, the substance of it and where to find it, okay? 
For all have sinned, let me go back and read 22 so you know why he's saying this. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned. That's why there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guilty. Guilty. That's it. You have sinned. You fall short of the glory of God. Paul laid out a clear and concise argument demonstrating that all people, all people, both Jew and Gentile are under the same condemnation. There is no person who has attained to God's glory, either innately or through works, that can expect to be exempt from his righteous judgment. No person on earth ever has been, ever will be, except from Jesus Christ. Nobody. Okay? Every person ever born was born through man who originally traces back to Adam. Thus, without even committing any misdeeds, we have already inherited his sin. As we are in a continuum of time, which is moving forward, we can't go back before Adam to reverse the fall, right? David's words of the 51st Psalm remind us that we were sinful at birth. I mentioned that earlier. And as shown, not only did we inherit sin, we've added sin upon sin, further separating us from the glory of God. That's been Paul's logical argument all the way through this book so far. This verse to here, taken in uh, conjunction with John 3.18, clearly lays out our hopeless state. The following truths are revealed. Beforehand, I'll read you John 3.18 in its entirety, which I cited earlier. It says, um, uh, He who believes in him is not condemned. Believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. I don't need to go any further than that to tell you that that's eternal salvation right here. If Jesus said it, then I believe it. I don't need anybody to tell me how I can lose my salvation or that what he said here is untrue. He is the Lord. He created us. He has done all things, and when he says he who believes is not condemned, that's it. End of story. End of story. I don't need anybody's theology to tell me that I can lose my salvation because of something that I'm going to do, because I'm prone to doing a lot of really bad things, and one of these days I'm probably going to do one. I just have that feeling, and you know, I mean, we're all prone to doing something stupid, but one of these days I'm going to run that guy over that, you know, whatever, and I'm not going to mean it, but it's going to take care of the problem. It's going to say, Charlie, you're not a preacher anymore. You're now a prisoner. Right? Oh, no, I'm just saying you don't know in your life what you're going to do. You, you, you get a chemical imbalance in your brain and you can fly off the handle. You don't know. No, I mean, yes, go ahead. The term is not prisoner anymore. It's a guest. Oh, yeah, you're a, you're a state guest. That's right. Thank you. Clarify that. Okay, so he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. He said it. I don't need to go any further. I don't need to have arguments with people, and neither do you. If somebody says, well, how do you know that I can't be saved except through Jesus? Well, that's what he said. I don't need to argue with you on this, mister. Either accept it or don't, right? Go to your own, you know, holy writings and pursue whatever path you want. God has given us that free will. You want to go read the Bhagavad Gita and find illumination in there? Go ahead. You want to follow Lao Tse or Buddha or any of these other people? Go ahead. God doesn't interfere with that, but he does offer you this. He has graciously offered us this. You want to follow Islam? Man, that's a path you don't want to follow, but go ahead. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you you have to do it. He gives you the option, okay? You're condemned already. Jesus said it. I don't need to go any further with that in my theology. I don't need to argue with people. I'm saying I for all of you. I'm saying don't argue with people over these things. There's no point. Just understand what Jesus has said. If he has said it, leave it alone at that. All right, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Perfect tie into John 14, 6 right there. 
perfect tie-in. I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You haven't believed in the name of the Son? You're condemned already. End of story. Okay? Um, so uh, let's see here. Um, uh, he clearly lays that hopeless state out there. The following truths are revealed. Oh, we're going to get one more verse in. Um, one, all people, Jew and Gentile alike, inherited sin, which separates us from God. Okay? Anybody disagree with that? All people. All right? Two, our inherited state condemns us. Jesus just said it. Anybody want to argue with him? No. no. Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, there is nothing we need to do to be condemned. It's done already. You're condemned already, he said. Already. It is a fact of our birth. Three, there is no way for us to improve our station before God. Our works cannot please him, and they can only further condemn us. Everybody got that? Right? He says you're condemned already, and then he uses the word believe. The word believe means there's not something you're actively doing. Instead, it's something that he has actively done. All right? We believe what he has done. All right? So, were it up to us, all hope of reconciliation. That's the thing that's amazing. Let me read it and then I'll. Were it up to us, all hope of reconciliation and restoration would be futile. And God knew that. Before he created the universe, he knew that that would happen. That's why Revelation 13, 8. Behold the Lamb. Before the foundation. Yeah, the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Right? He, Jesus Christ is a Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I said before. Anyway, it's not. From the foundation of the world. Okay? God knew the moment that creation came into existence that his son would be hanging on a cross and be dying for our sins, and he didn't have to do it. Then, as I said, if he didn't do it, there would be nothing in heaven but him. There would be nothing in there but him because we are condemned already. But he did it. He was willing to do it. And like I, I said in the Genesis 1-1 sermon, we don't need the Bible to understand this. We can logically deduce the entire process of condemnation without the Bible. What we need the Bible for is to get the salvation. We need God's special revelation in order to show us that. But we can logically think through the entire process of our condemnation. All right? And we can also logically think through all other avenues which are not correct. And there are a lot of them. There are all kinds of avenues which are not correct. The 12 first principles will show us that. Once you go through the first principles and you understand, you say, oh, that all makes sense. Now what do I do about it? Here, read this. Okay? Um, so, uh, what? Oh, okay. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, God has done the work for us. He has restored the bridge over the chasm. He has worked salvation by himself. All of it has been done by him, and all of it will be to glorify him. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All hail the name of Jesus. Life application for you. When you look at others, don't forget this verse but instead remember it and use it as a tool to prompt you to tell them about Jesus. Yes. Without Jesus, they will never know peace and reconciliation with God, but will instead be eternally separated from him. Your words and your actions toward them may have eternal consequences, so don't be silent about Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. That's why I love the movie The, uh, the uh, Apostle with uh, Robert Duvall. Oh, you know, the first time mom said, I want you to watch this movie. She gave me the DVD and she said, I just, I want you to watch this movie. And I watched it and I was so mad at mom. I was so angry. I, I thought, I can't believe that she would have me watch that crummy movie. I was so, I, I was, I was literally angry. 
Because I'm looking at it as a guy that understands that God is holy, right? And I'm completely missing the point of the entire movie. And afterward, I'm stewing over it for about four days, thinking about it, muttering over it. And finally, I suddenly realized, I've got to watch that movie again. And I watched it again. And I've watched it again. And the day before I went around, this, uh, the day before I was ordained, I watched it again. And the day before I went around the States in 2010, I watched it again. And every time I've had something that I needed to do, I've watched that movie again. Because it's a guy that's a preacher and he does some really terrible things. And I think that could be me. That could be me. I missed the entire point the first time I watched it is that that guy, he, one guy, he, he went out and he took a baseball bat and he beat somebody right in the middle of a baseball field, killed him. Oh. Yeah. Because he was angry. Something happened in his life and it made him angry. And you know, you can all fly. I've been saying that. You can all fly off the handle. You don't know your own limitations. What Clint Eastwood said. What's that? The, the Apostle, Robert Duvall. Wonderful movie. But yeah, Clint Eastwood said a man's got to know his limitations. Well, we don't. We don't know our limitations. And he, he did this thing. He went out trying to escape. Through the whole thing, he's still loving the Lord. All he does through the whole movie is love the Lord. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, but he keeps screwing up. And at the very end, he's, I don't want to tell you what he's doing, but he's, he's talking about Jesus at the end of it while he's doing it. It is, I'm telling you what, you want to know the depths of the human heart, he got it, he got it right down. Man, but I was so angry at mom when she first gave me that movie, because I was just thinking, why would, why would she want me to watch a movie about a guy that would do those things? Well, she knows her son's proclivities, that's why. Verse 324, we got, yeah, we got nine, yeah, we'll, we'll do it really quickly. Verse 324, I'm going to go back and read you 22 through. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Bible ends on grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Right? This thought here ties directly back to verse 22. Let me read them both together. I'm going to skip 23 in the middle. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right? Both Jew and Gentile alike, who alike are under the penalty of sin. Now, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are justified freely. We, in other words, are treated as if we had kept the law and were perfectly righteous, even though this isn't the case at all. Everybody here, I think everybody admitted that they don't keep the law, right? Or they don't even keep God's standard after the law, right? Okay, so we all know that. But we're counted as if we do. Such is the nature of grace. It is unmerited favor granted to those who demonstrate mere faith in the work of Jesus. Because it is by grace, we merit no favor at all in the decision. It has come freely. The word here uh, in Greek is dorian, and it carries the intent of standing in opposition to anything which was purchased or earned through our industry. In other words, he has done everything. It stands completely opposed to anything that we could do. Anything. There is no thing that we can do to merit God's favor. So much for the Hebrew Roots movement. So much for Arminianism, which says that you can lose your salvation, which means that it has to be not of grace. If you can lose your salvation, it cannot be of grace. 
people don't understand grace. They don't understand what the word means. And if you don't understand what grace means, of course you're going to come up with these aberrant doctrines. Grace is grace. It is unmerited favor. If I can do something to lose my salvation, then that means it's not of grace. If I had to do something to get my salvation, it wasn't of grace. The entire process from beginning to end is God and it is grace, okay? So, um, no personal claim of effort can be made to that which was granted, none. Rather, all the honor and all of the gratitude is to be given to the one who bestows the grace, to God be the glory. He has done it all for those who could do none of it. As the psalmist says, so we must say, Psalm 115 and verse 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. It's all about him. It's all about him. Okay? We now stand justified and free from sin's penalty through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as he says in this verse. The term through the redemption comes from a root word which indicates the price paid to redeem a prisoner of war, which is what we all are. The devil won us captive. He took control. We're a prisoner of war. We are in chains, bound. Jesus talked about, you know, he who senses, I'm going to get that wrong, so I'm not even going to go there. But uh, the term, uh, you're a prisoner of war. You are already owned by the devil. He has claimed you. It signifies liberty from captivity, bondage, or imprisonment. We are born into sin, and we are prisoners of sin, held in bondage by its power, and are kept by the master of sin, the devil. Once again, 1 John 3, 8. Now, he who senses um, uh, the reason that the Son of God was manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. This is confirmed by the devil's words to Jesus, which I said earlier in Luke 4, where he said that all this authority I give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. The Bible doesn't say any qualifying thing later. That wasn't true. Don't worry about it. It doesn't say that at all. It is a statement that is taken as a fact. He made the claim, and he could make the claim. Jesus didn't dispute him. He just simply ignored him, right? He simply did not take his, his uh, tempting offer. All this authority I will give you. Uh, This has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Sin is a firm bond, and the devil is a cruel taskmaster. However, Jesus' mission was to destroy this power. John notes this as the principal reason for his coming in 1 John 3.8. I've cited it three times. I'm not going to cite it again, but 1 John 3.8, you know, destroy the works of the devil. Jesus prevailed where Adam failed. What the devil gained through Adam's disobedience, Jesus regained through obedience. What God asks is that we simply believe this message, receive his grace, and place our trust in what Jesus has done for us. This is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in this verse. This is the marvel, the marvel of what God has done for us. In him there is absolute victory and complete reconciliation with God the Father. There's no worrying about, will I lose my reconciliation with God the Father? There's I, I, I can't tell you, I can't stress it enough that if you want to email me about that and tell me that I'm wrong, don't bother. You need to get your theology straight. The Bible is very clear. You are saved, you are saved, you are saved despite yourself. And as a proof, somebody emailed me about a different issue yesterday, and I told him, just read 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 9. 
which we'll go through. Yeah, we got two more minutes, so I'll do that. Let me give you a life application. Do you often feel defeated by sin's power? Jesus Christ has defeated the devil and broken the bonds which held us. I will tell you, if you want to know about the breaking of bonds, I just watched it. I always come in here on Thursday, and after I finish cleaning, I always watch the Prophecy Update because, believe it or not, I learn stuff by watching it. And I watched Adele when you spoke. And you talk about somebody that packaged it just perfectly. One of the people that emailed me from out of state, and I sent you his comments, is sitting behind you right now. And I've gotten a lot more comments, which I haven't sent you. But I want you to know that she packaged it perfectly. You talk about being released from bondage. There you go. Perfect example. Watch the Prophecy Update. Go to the morality section. And was that not, you said, talking about a God wink with your bird. You want to talk about a God wink is when I said, uh, I, I, I finished my, my sentence in the, uh, what is it, uh, Revelation Plagues? Yes. And I'm just about to say in our morality section, and the door opens, and there she is. I mean, within two seconds of her needing to be up here, she walks in. If you were, if you were literally 10 seconds later, I, I would have already started, and you would have missed it, and it's maybe we would have gotten you this weekend if you're still here. But I, the Lord worked that out beautifully. I'm tell, it was perfect. Anyway, do you feel uh, defeated by sin's power? Ask Adele. She'll tell you what to do. Read the Bible. She picked it up and said, this is your answer. All right? Jesus Christ has defeated the devil and broken the bonds which held us. We are now free from the power of sin, protected from the penalty of sin, and someday we shall be taken from the presence of sin, all because of Jesus. Take time to reflect on what he has done, and then put your thoughts into action by standing on the freedom for which Christ has set you free. Don't put yourself back in bondage. So many people want to put themselves back in bondage. They want to get their theology out of a Cracker Jack box, and they pull out the next thing, and it tells them that you're back in bondage. Don't do that. Just go to the Bible and understand that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. It is done. It is over. It is finished. Sir, do you uh, pray openly? Yes. Would you close us in prayer today? No problem. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that through you we have the assurance of eternal salvation. Mm. Lord, we thank you that only through you has the price and the price of sin been paid. Mm. Lord, we thank you that only through you do we have that eternal hope. And through your power and through the power of your Spirit within us, Lord, you give us the determination, Lord. You give us the ability, Lord, to be able to overcome the challenges that the world throws at us. But only when we believe in you, Lord, mm. only when we trust in you, only when we look up to you and not look down at ourselves. Lord, we thank you that through your word, Lord, we have everything that we need to sustain us in this world. And that through your word, Lord, we can be comforted in knowing that when we leave this world, Lord, that you hold us in your hands. Yeah. We thank you for the the word that's been read today. We thank you for the message that Charlie has brought. We thank you, Lord, that through Charlie's words, you speak to us, Lord. You give us the interpretation. And we pray, Lord, that you will hold us in good stead, Lord, despite our failings, despite the fact that we are not faithful. We can trust that you are always faithful to us. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for enabling us to come today to be in fellowship. 
to come together, Lord, knowing and trusting in your word, knowing that you, as the Lord Jesus, has paid that price for us, and we don't need to do anything except believe and trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Uh, okay, let me back this baby up here. Say goodbye. To the, oh, now the live button's on. That's good. Um, let's see here. We're going to go to break. Yeah. Okay, we love y'all. We want you to have a wonderful week ahead, okay? Or a wonderful weekend. Yeah, where it's Thursday. Take care. Okay, that'll be off in a few seconds. And let's see here. Nine. You kind of have to read from like first two down, and it'll give you a wild logical sequence of things to do. Because if you don't, you get to verse nine. You can actually forget that you were saved, and yet you never questioned it. You, you've forgotten, but you are still saved. That's, so I, I like to go through that once in a while because it's really first Yeah, that's, wow. That's still blinking. Okay. <laughs>